Lisa. Hi, I'm Julie. And together we are Two Sober Chicks. Thanks a lot for joining us. Still sober, still chicks. How long do you have right now, Lisa? Some of us more than others. (laughs) (laughs) You are more chicky than I am for sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. How long do I have sober? Yeah. Um, I just celebrated eight years. Yep. Clean and sober time. And it was 20, it was like 2010 that I last had a drink. So I feel, you know, pretty amazing about that, even though my outside issues took me back out and I had to start my time over, but I really haven't had a drop of alcohol in my body since before 2010. So pretty excited about that. And yourself? Eight years and November, December, January, February, almost five months. Nice. But I've been having drinking dreams lately. And, you know, that horrible feeling where you wake up and you're like, did I? I? Oh, my God. No, I didn't. Okay. (laughs) Thank God. Wasn't that a party in my brain? I I actually had a drink. It's never fun when I drink in my dreams, though, because I'm like, I know I have to lie about it. I'm paranoid. I regret it. It's never fun. The the last drinking dream I had was about a year ago. Um, when I was going through some stressful stuff. And I think maybe that's when the subconscious starts to play those games with you. Like, Hey, this would help. Hey, this might be a good idea. And I think it manifests through our dreams, you know, our own brain attacks us at night while we sleep. (laughs) That's nice. Um, But that one, I actually woke up the next morning and I I had this sense of peace. Like, no, I didn't drink. That was as soon as I opened my eyes, I was like, Oh, that was a dream. Good. And then I was like, Ooh, look at all the fun I had. And it was actually fun and I didn't do any damage and there's no wreckage and I don't have to, you know, owe any apologies or make amends to anyone. It was fantastic. So it was the first ever drinking dream that I actually enjoyed. Oh, well, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Instead of that sense of impending doom when you wake up and before you realize, was it real? Was it wasn't real? Was it wasn't, yeah. <laughs> was it wasn't real? What? Yeah. Fuzzy Wuzzy was a bear. I'm having trouble speaking. Oh, I wonder, I almost canceled on us today because I'm like, uh, night shift. I'm not going to have any energy. But anyway, I woke up. I've had some coffee. I'm a little tongue tied, but I'm here and I'm happy to see your beautiful face. And um, your face. It's been nice. We've been having some meetings together. You've been coming in on my Zoom meeting with a couple of my sponsees. And so we get to see each other more often, which is nice. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people just like to put the the face because that's one thing we don't do is we don't put our faces out. We don't do videos on the Internet of who we are. But yeah. It's just the voice. So our, yeah. our small collective circle has seen your face. They feel like yeah. you've been unmasked, which is kind of revealed. Mm-hmm. So we have two orders of business before we start. One is our disclaimer. We represent no one but ourselves. We are not experts on anything but our own recovery. And we just like to talk about recovery, hence the birth of this podcast. And number two, because we are going to podcast on a listener question or request, we encourage those of you that have questions or requests, um, not thoughts or feelings, because we don't really care about those. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so you can email us two sober chicks at gmail.com. And it's the number two, not two T W O, not T O O, just two, two sober chicks at gmail.com. And we check them and pretty regularly. So drop us a line if you have any um, suggestions or questions. We love those. Yeah. Or shout outs, birthdays. Yeah, we haven't done a birthday in a while. 
Oh, That's happy right. 900 days to our friend Trish. Yeah. Trish in North Carolina. 900. 900 days today. Which, and what's the date today? The 26th? Yep, 26th of February. Right and on. she is always so kind with her words and uh, thanking us for getting her through specifically COVID and us being like her little pocket buddies because mm-hmm. you know when you hear someone's voice over a podcast it's little and we go with you everywhere so technically we're like your pocket buddies pocket not pals. like your hot pocket just like <laughs> your pocket pocket <laughs> just like your jeans pocket like your ass pocket or your you just reminded me of something wildly inappropriate one of my old friends said when he saw a very tiny uh, a very tiny short man walk into a gay bar one night and he said oh look a pocket gay Oh, oh yeah. You can take him, put him in your pocket and take him home. I'm like, yeah, that'd be right up your alley. Your back alley. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Enough dirty jokes aside. Um, So the listener question that we have today. So this listener, um, and I didn't ask, so I'm not going to say the listener's name just in case. All right. uh, Is currently working on her steps Uh, She's around nine the last time I heard about her and she's fretting about sponsorship and how to do it. And that's just sort of led me to think like, can everyone be a sponsor? Should everyone be a sponsor? Mm -hmm. When do you sponsor? How do you sponsor? I think a lot of us, I know me, even when I get a new sponsor, I'm like a sponsee. I'm like, oh, fuck, am I going to be able to do this? I know. You just get really nervous. Yeah. Um, so what are your suggestions on for the new person who has not sponsored and Mm. wants to, or is scared to, Mm. that's a good one. So, um, one of the things that just came up when you said, you know, that feeling of nervousness comes up and it still comes up for me too. And then I remind myself that I'm not in control of the other person's sobriety, mm-hmm. of their success, of their choices, of their wellness. Um, I had a sponsee who kept calling me and saying, what should I do? I'm like, I, I can't make those decisions for you. I can't mm-hmm. tell you what to do. I can only tell you um, maybe if I have a similar experience, what helped me what worked for me, but you've got to make the choices, you know? And I think sometimes uh, we, as alcoholics, we would love to have someone else tell us exactly what to do. Cause then we have someone else we can blame later on if things turn to shit. Right. <laughs> oh, well, I did that. I did what my sponsor said and it didn't work out. Um, but getting over the nervousness and the anxiety for me helped when I turned to God and I remembered, and uh, it was my sponsor that taught me this um, when someone drank Uh, when I had a sponsee that went out and and drank the very first time. And I was so upset as I thought I'd failed as a sponsor. I thought I'd failed in carrying the message. And, you know, he just said what Lois said to Bill. Did you stay sober in all those? Because Bill talks about that in his story, right? In the first 100 people that he helped, he tried to help and carried the message to um, one stayed sober <laughs> in the beginning. And that was Bob. Um, and so she said, yeah, but you stayed sober doing all that work. And that's the 12 step message. You carried the message and mm-hmm. you stayed sober. So that's a good reminder that helps with the anxiety and the nervousness. Um, remembering that I am just a, a tool or an, <laughs> I'm a tool all the time. Uh, <laughs> I'm an instrument. Um, and you know, I'm here for God to use me. Um, I like to think of um, my difficulties, bearing witness to God's victory, 
over alcoholism mm. and over the difficulties of my life. So I'm here to carry a message. And uh, it's, and I, and I do say this to my sponsees, like it's up to you and your relationship with your higher power and how far you go with this. You can just mm-hmm. get dry. You can go out and drink again. You can lead a wonderful sober existence and have a complete psychic change. Mm-hmm. And that is all dependent upon how much work you put into the action of the steps and how willing you are. Um, yeah. So that, that definitely helps. Um, I have tons more to say on this, but I'm going to let you talk for a little bit. Uh, well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is it is my personal opinion that you should not sponsor until you have done all 12 steps and you yourself have a sponsor. Oh yes. <laughs> um, because lots can happen between whatever step you're on and the end of the steps. Mm-hmm. I also think we make a way bigger deal of it than is necessary because all we ever have to do, the big book tells us, is share how we did it. That's it. And if we don't have experience with something or we're struggling, we're struggling, that's why we go to our sponsor and we can say, you know what, I'm not exactly sure about that. Can I run it by my sponsor so I can give you a better answer? but we don't have to be experts on anything. It's just literally like, well, this is how I did step two. This is how I did step three. This is the format that worked for me for step four. Because we can't do someone's steps for them. We can just sort of hold their hand as they do it and give them our best advice because hopefully someone has wants what we have. And all we have to do is be an expert in how we got what we have Mm -hmm. and then talk about it. And the principle you just touched on was behind step one is honesty, right? And I love that. It is absolutely 100% okay to say when a sponsee comes to you with something, I don't know. I don't know. Let's talk to another, another alcoholic. I take it to my sponsor. I also take it to other trusted sober members that I know. People who have um, good quality sobriety that I admire. And I ask them. Uh, I did this not too long ago when somebody asked me about um, uh, a ninth, um, not a ninth step, a fifth step. What if I hear and they say something like, this is where I hit all the bodies. And we were talking, uh, we were talking about, you know, um, obligation and things like that. You know, yeah. what are you obligated? Um, but the fifth step is to be kept in confidence. Right. So I think yep. if you start with that, uh, that platform and that idea, no one's going to tell me where they <laughs> They hid the money um, or something, something crazy like that. Cause I would, I would say, you know, if you tell me that you are currently abusing a child, then I will be obligated to report that to the authorities. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Um, but, and hopefully they're not doing that. Um, hopefully that through the action of the steps, they've learned to change any bad behavior that they had. Yeah. That was a pretty dark uh, example, but <laughs> um, yeah. So honesty, fairness, straightforwardness, um, adhering to facts and it's okay to have humility and say, I don't know, or I don't have that experience. Um, my sponsor didn't have experience with, um, childhood sexual trauma. So he, his experience told him, have you sought outside help for that? Mm -hmm. Yes, I, yes, I have. And I'm currently, you know, I had said at the time I'm currently seeking more because now I'm more honest and open and less afraid to be honest and share the truth. Yeah. Um, so that was really helpful too. And I love on page 164 in the big book, because as we know, the meat and potatoes of the how-to manual of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is found in the first 164 pages. And in the last, uh, 
two paragraphs, it says, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. So that speaks to, you know, you can't take someone through the steps if you haven't gone through the steps yourself. The next line is see to it that your relationship with him is right. Um, you know, do you have a higher power? You can't be your own higher power. How can you help someone else uh, have a, you know, get to their spiritual awakening if you haven't had that yourself? Mm. And then it says great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. What's the great fact? The great fact is that this is a we program um, and that uh, human aid failed us, but a higher power never does. Mm -hmm. uh, we can't rely on ourselves. And it's also a good reminder in sponsorship. And I, I didn't know this at the beginning, but I've learned this over time is that uh, I am constantly reminded that I, I need to forgive people. I need to have empathy. I need to be grateful for all the people that I've worked with my sponsors uh, in the past. Um, people gave me their best. Um, and maybe uh, at the time I needed more. And that's why you can change. You can have a different sponsor. Yeah. Sometimes we outgrow our sponsors and it's time to move on and find someone else that has more of what we're looking for. Um, and remember, when you walk away from a sponsor, I no longer blame them. But I used to be like, oh, they were terrible or they didn't do this or no, they did everything they absolutely could with what they had at the time. Yep. And that was part of the journey, right? Would you agree? Yeah. I actually want to take a detour on something you just said okay. uh, that I had to work through spiritually when you said your higher power won't let you down. Um, for those who may not know, I am a Christian and I love Christian worship. And in one of the songs, I remember literally being like mid-sentence singing the songs with the lyrics on the screen at church. And it's like, you'll, you never fail me. And I'm like, you never fail wait a second. Yes, he has. And I was like, how could they put that lyric in there? There's lots of times God's failed me and disappointed me. And when I worked through it, I realized I was actually blaming circumstances in my life on God, not understanding a divine perspective. For example, um, chronic illness. Did God fail me or let me down because I got chronically ill? I mean, you can make a case for yes. Why didn't he protect me? Why didn't he step in? Why hasn't he healed me? Mm. It was a really big spiritual struggle for me. And I realized that it's my human perspective on what pain and suffering is that led me to believe that God could abandon me or let me down or reject me. I don't know what God's perspective is on it. But when I look back at all the pain and suffering that I've had up until this point, and of course, I'll continue to have pain and suffering. It's just part of our journey. I realize that what came out of it was so good that maybe what I see as black and white, good and bad, isn't necessarily black and white, good and bad. Mm -hmm. And so as part of my faith, I have to believe that God will not let me down, will not fail me, will not disappoint me, knowing that I can't define God and what his purposes are and how he moves in my life. Like, and like you just mentioned, and that's all humility. If I don't have humility, I have nothing. I usurp God's position and go into the position of even judging other people. Like there's a, to make a long story short, we bought a house from somebody who is really awful and terrible. They're also our neighbor. They live across the street. And I can't figure out who this, I want to know what this neighbor looks like so I can like give him dirty looks when I see him. So there was this big bellied man who walks up and down the streets here and he's got like the earpiece in and he's always on his phone. And, um, I ran outside to my husband and I said, did, 
the other neighbor ever tell you what so-and-so looks like? And he's like, no, why? I go, because I'm wondering if that fat piece of shit out there is him. (laughs) Right. And I came inside and I'm like, that is so terrible. I literally just called a creation of God a piece of shit. Mm. Who the fuck am I? I was just like, fall to my knees. I, I, Father, I am so sorry. That is not right. And I am usurping God when I decide that that person over there is unworthy or less worthy or not acceptable. But my anger was just like red hot. And then I went into like a whole Google search on who this person was. And when I finally saw pictures of them after like an hour of super deep diving, (laughs) I realized it's not that wonderful gray haired Fox that walks up and down the street with his headpiece on. And I just like apologize to him in my spirit. Mm. I'm like, I am so sorry. Like, So all of that to say, I don't know what God's intent is, but when I have a judgment about it, I'm not being humble and I'm becoming God of the universe almighty. That's beautiful. That thanks for walking me through that experience because you also just highlighted for me one of my former issues with people who would call themselves Christians. And I would say they sit in their ivory towers uh, on their white horses. And yet I know they're judging people. (laughs) And they're like, oh, I believe in Jesus. And I'm not, I never judge anybody. And then, <laughs> that's my Christian voice, Julie. Can you picture me it. with my it's PhD? Exactly mm-hmm. <laughs> the higher the hair, the closer to God. That's why yes, I have my ma'am. little uh, faux hawk here. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just demonstrated uh, to me what an actual, what I hope a Christian person actually is. Someone who is human, makes mistakes, catches their mistakes and then takes it to God and asks for forgiveness, you know, in that judgment. Um, and a piece of shit is something I hear on a daily basis in my profession. Cause people call mm. me that every day mm. <laughs> or the C word. They love to call me a cunt. Um, and I remember the story I told you about the time that somebody called me a fat, a fat bitch. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I'll give you fat. Cause I have packed on a little bit of pounds, but I am not a bitch, sir. <laughs> <laughs> that you are not. I don't <laughs> even know how. Like, I'm just thinking about what someone could say about you. They couldn't say that because you're just not. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I love how you went through that process and that you owned it. That takes a lot of courage, especially on a podcast where like, you know, who knows, thousands of people are going to hear this. Um, but that's that's it. That's humility. That's admitting and owning our mistakes. And I think that's important in sponsorship too. Um mm-hmm. And, and I've said that to people, like, I can only do my best for you uh, at where I'm at in the day I'm at. And I try. And that's all I can do is bring my best and uh, try to remember. Because um, sometimes I've, I've given advice and then afterwards I'm like, ooh, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you know, maybe that wasn't my place. Again, trying to remind myself to keep it to my experience. And that's been part of my journey is remembering to keep it to my experience. So if you're, you know, concerned about sponsorship or what is it going to be like when you sponsor, one thing I will say is don't worry, you're not alone. Everyone's Mm -hmm. had those feelings. And just like all other things, it's like walk through the fear um, and know that you're not alone. Know that your higher power is with you. Know that you have a sponsor who has your back. 
Um, I take all kinds of things to my sponsor. That's part of my discussion with a new sponsee. Hey, I'm going to keep what you tell me in confidence. However, what I want you to know is that there will be times when I go to my sponsor. They won't know who you are, but I will present situations so that I can get another perspective uh, because they might have experience. Um, I once had a lady who was cross addicted to heroin. I didn't have experience with heroin. So I suggested that she either a find another sponsor who did or find another sponsor with that specific experience with heroin and we could co-sponsor together. Yeah. Um, So that happened to me once with someone who did crack. So I went to my favorite crack addict in recovery Mm -hmm. and I'm like, what the, I don't know. And he goes, you don't need to be an expert in crack. You need to be an expert in how you did it. So like he goes, you don't live in the problem. You live in the solution. You can totally sponsor them. Now, I know some people would like a lot of people in recovery don't want people who aren't in recovery being their counselors and when they go to rehab and it's actually a big problem in treatment centers. Um, So a person may have a preference. I need you to understand the difference between a drug addict and an alcoholic. But at the end of the day, it actually worked out great. Oh, no, she was addicted to heroin Mm. Um, and it worked out great. And we worked together for a couple of years and then, you know, she moved somewhere, I think, and we lost touch. But Mm-hmm. It worked for her, so it is possible. Yeah. Um, I just recently took uh, a newcomer through the steps. She's about five months sober, and at two months, she had started She started to sponsor someone. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing, though. We got through the steps very quickly because um, one of the things that spoke to her was because she asked me, how long do you, does it take to get through the steps? And I said, that's an individual. Mm-hmm. You know, I know somebody who's still working seven years in. And they're mm-hmm. just at step nine for me. Yep. I, I don't want to sit in that suffering. You know, the last time I came into the program, knock on wood, hopefully last time ever, I'll never go out again, but I live this program one day at a time. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to get into it and get into action because I hadn't done that before. And I'd stayed sick and I'd stayed in suffering for so long. And it's a miserable place to be um, without, you know, the solution of booze or drugs to have no other solution, then you're just dry and miserable. So I got right into action and right into the steps. And within six months, I was sponsoring people. Um, You know, and and it's new, you've never done it before. You're kind of going off what your sponsor did with you. And that's the roadmap for me is what did my sponsor do in this situation? We, you know, we read the book, we we talked about it. Um, I was open when they had questions. and I, re- I share a lot about my own defiance and um, sitting on the debating committee and how that interrupted, you know, um, good quality sobriety when I was constantly in conflict and trying to argue and how it was surrender when I surrendered to the principles that I started to get well. Um, and then what people do with that is up to them. If somebody wants to sit in their suffering and continue to do it their way, it's hard to watch, but that's all I can do. It's hard I can't- to work with. Yeah. I can't make them change their mind. Do you go through the book with every sponsee? I used to, when we were in person, I used to sit down. We used to meet once a week. It's been a little different for me in COVID. Um, mm. And especially like right now, I, I have a, a larger number, more sponsees than I've ever had all at the same time. So what Double I'm trying, digits. <laughs> what I'm trying to do is uh, because of my shift work, it works out to about every 10 days. We have a group meeting and most of them are pretty good at showing up. 
so that we go through, we're going through the 12 and 12 right now, because uh, it's a little more, I think, um, easy to understand in the beginning. For so sure. We're, we're going through the 12 and 12 together, page by page. We stop, we ask questions, we share on our experience. And then, of course, I also have individual time for people and everybody's at a different step level. You know, some people are still on step one. Other people are moving into step four. I have one that rocketed through the steps quite quickly. Um, but she was very driven. Uh, here's another thing I've heard sponsees say, oh, like, well, why is it always up to me to call my sponsor? Here's an answer to that question. Whose program is it? Hmm. Whose, whose sobriety <laughs> is yeah. in jeopardy if you don't do the steps? It's not mine if yeah. you don't do the steps. Did you wait for someone else to pour you a drink? Yeah. <laughs> or did you belly up to the bar? Yeah, you can do it. Yes. Um, and I think it's important to say too, because I've heard a few people say this before, that they didn't want to do the 12 and 12 because they didn't want to read on steps beyond where they were, which is like, that's like saying you can't do service until you get to step 12. Mm. Like be in it, be in the program and work where you're at. It all contributes. All the steps are intermingled. They all help one another. You can do service immediately. The first people, most of the time, are doing service right away. A good person strong arms a newcomer into being of service immediately. Yeah. But here's the difference, okay? This is driving me crazy with the world of Zoom versus the world of brick and mortar meetings. When I was strong armed into service, as I was, it was, see those butt cans out there? Somebody needs to empty them. Get to mm -hmm. it. You know, kind of is like newcomer boot camp. You got the shittiest, <laughs> humblest job there was. Empty the butt cans, sweep the floor, you know, set up chairs. Making yep. coffee was an elevated step. <laughs> like, yeah. They're trusting me to touch things that people are going to drink. That's exciting. You know, <laughs> instead of the dirty butt cans, which I hated doing that job. Oh, I hated that too. I did that at St. Clement's back in the days when we were still at the old church in that basement. Oh yeah. It was terrifying because I would show up by myself. That was a, a, yeah. a church basement with 18 dark rooms, make the coffee, <laughs> set up the chairs. And then at the end of the night, the butt cans just holding my breath. I'm just like, life, where, how, what has become of me that I'm emptying cigarette butts? It's so gross. I know. But what an act of humility, right? Now, fast forward to this world where we're in the Zoom rooms and they don't call it uh, chairing a meeting or being a chairperson. They call it, it hosting. Hosting. Yeah. Wow. I'm in the spotlight. It's like I'm a talk show host on a game show. I'm your host. Hey, welcome to the show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, um, but I think it's a, in, it inflates the ego. In, and what we need is a deflation of ego, right? A deflation yeah. of self. We need to uh, develop humility. And, and I also think it's a lot of pressure uh, for a newcomer to be running a meeting. But we don't have yeah. these little you know, these other little jobs that got people coming to meetings, uh, learning accountability, learning responsibility, and showing up, being on time, commitment stuff, right? Now it's yep. like, all of a sudden, you're at the front of a room, and sometimes it's 100 people. That's heady stuff. Yeah. Heady up here. Um, so, and, and yeah, and everyone's different. And you, another question you asked was, should everyone sponsor? I know somebody who goes around appointing themselves as a sponsor of women. And I don't think if you're a man, 
um, that you should be taking oh. it upon yourself to go around and appoint yourself as a sponsor to women. No, uh, I think that's crossing inappropriate. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the, the way they sort of do the workaround is, well, they get the person, the female to do their fifth step with a female. That doesn't make any sense. Leave the entire process that you've been working with one person to bring an outside person in for a day a and day? then go back. So then your sponsor has no idea what your character defects are, how they've manifested in your life. That's yeah. terrible, terrible <laughs> so, working step sponsorship. You know, like we say, there's no wrong way to do the steps and, you know, you well, do your is. best, you do your best as a, as a sponsor, but there are some things that I do see. It's like, wow, how did someone come up with that, that concept? And there is also a difference between saying to a newcomer, do you have a sponsor? Hmm. I can be your sponsor. Or if you need a sponsor, I'm available. That's very different yep. than you've just met your new sponsor. Yeah. Or, um, hey, I can be a sober pal, but I'm a guy and yeah. you're a lady, so you need to quickly get hooked up with a female. Here are some suggestions. Yep, agreed. Uh, here, you know, here, let me introduce you to Cheryl. Let me introduce you to Jane. I, I just, I'm just blown away by the, the something that I've seen recently in the rooms. Um, so, you know, and that's come up in meetings too. Oh, I go to this wonderful little meeting where they do the ask it basket. Do you remember the ask it basket in the no. room? I think they used to do this at Port Credit, my sponsors um, group. They have a basket. Newcomers write something down on a piece of paper so it can be anonymous. They put it in the basket and oh. then the chairperson reads a, a newcomer question. And then they go around the room and older strong timers can share on that or anybody can share on that. What's your experience with this question? And uh, some you know great questions have come out of it. Sponsorship has come out of it. Like, how do you get a sponsor? What do you look for in a sponsor? Um, what if your sponsor is telling you to do something that you don't feel comfortable with? Hmm. Some really great questions. So I've seen that approach in closed meetings where it's basically like a topic suggestion. And I've seen it both in written form and in verbal form Yeah, where they just go and like, I'd like to talk about uh, stay in your own lane <laughs> or keep it simple or step one or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, anything else on sponsorship? Uh, nothing comes to mind. I, I always like to think of it too, is for me, it was the first place that I formed that bond of trust because mm -hmm. um, we are people who normally have trust issues, um, mm -hmm. you know, feelings of abandonment and things like that. And um, uh, oh, and the other thing growing, like just I've grown a lot through sponsorship. Um, it taught me how not to take things personally because I've had, I've had sponsees, you know, um, be nasty, rude, mean, leave, be angry, gossip about me, you know, mm -hmm. go to a meeting and you hear people and somebody comes to you and says, Hey, do you know what so-and-so is saying about you? You know, and that would hurt in the early days. Now it's like, Nope. And I don't need to know. Thanks. <laughs> or it's, you know what? Business. I have never, ever repeated because I don't think it's necessary. I've never been like, I heard this about you or so-and-so said, and like you just said, I remember, Oh, I don't know who it was. One of my former friends said to me that they heard, oh, I remember now I was supposed to chair a meeting, but at the time I was really struggling with a chronic illness and I just was not stable enough to come. And so I asked someone to do it. And the person that ended up chairing said to this friend of mine, what they thought about me and stuff. And she started telling me, and I'm like, ah, 
I don't want to know. I don't want to know what they said. I don't want to know what the reaction was to why I couldn't share, like not here for it. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I question the motives of the person who's telling the story, right? Like, how do you think this will benefit me? Do you think this is going to help me? And most of the time it's someone that isn't in your inner circle. So why does it fucking matter anyways? Mm -hmm. And that's gossip, you know? Yeah. It's tough. Wow. We've just gone full circle on so many things. So I I don't know if that helped the person, um, but I think it did. I'm going to step in and say, yes, go through the, go through the steps, have a sponsor yourself. Yep. Have a sponsor. Um, and it doesn't, you can get through it sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Some people get through the steps in a very quick amount of time. They did in the early days. Yeah. Um, you also mentioned, but maybe not on the podcast about in the early days, you know, there wasn't a book written yet. Mm-hmm. They were going off of the uh, tenants of the Oxford group and there was six steps um, and they sponsored each other and they got through them quite quickly, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes in hours, sometimes in days. Um, and it all just depends on where you're at. Some people haven't fully conceded that they're an alcoholic. So you can't do step four if you haven't fully conceded that you're an alcoholic, right? Mm-hmm. The steps are in order for a reason. So, And sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it's not a great experience. And it doesn't mean it'll always be like that. We, in our meeting that we had this week with you and I and Sarah and a whole bunch of um, other women, mm-hmm. one, our friend Sarah said something that you mentioned that blew my mind when you mentioned it, which is like, it's like the whole, when I am disturbed, page 417, the problem usually lies with me. She talked about the spiritual principle and some of the sort of non-religious, like Buddhist, Hindu I want to say new age for lack of a better word, but what I'm saying is not organized religion. Mm -hmm. Observe the observer. If this so upsets me, why is this so upsetting me? That is so genius to me. It was what happened to me today. Like, whoa, my anger is red hot. What is going on with me here? And then it helps you realize it's not about the other person. So just have an open mind. It's the how of recovery, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness, and you'll be fine. Yep. All right. All right. That closes that topic discussion. We'll be back again with more Two Sober Chicks on the next episode. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm Lisa. And you've been listening to Two Sober Chicks.